And welcome back to A Pagan Heart in Maine. On today's show, I share a rather painful experience from the beginning of last month, and I have an interview with spiritual artist Mark Nutt. And to start us off today, here's Lisa Thiel with Maybon. Abundant 
Definition of gravity, the natural force of attraction between any two massive bodies, which is directly proportional to the product of their masses, and inversely proportional to the square of the distance between them. This is not what was going through my head several weeks ago when I fell out of the back of my tractor trailer. Actually, the first thing to go through my head was a rather rude expletive. The second thing to go through my head was that this was going to hurt a lot. And the third thing to go through my head was the cement pavement. Or I should say it tried to go through my head. And when I woke up a second later, or what I thought was a second later, I realized I was a prophet. As my premonition was accurate, it did hurt. A lot. I don't like hospitals. They're too clean. Everything is all white and shiny silver, and the conditioned filtered air doesn't smell right. It's not natural. I was reminded of this as I lay propped up in a bed at St. Luke's Hospital in Newburgh, New York. The doctor came in and asked how I was doing. I told her I had a splitting headache. I don't think she got the humor of that. I was diagnosed with a concussion and they sent me down for a CAT scan. And I thought, oh good, I like cats. There are no cats involved. But what they do is put you in this giant white and shiny silver donut and proceed to shoot x-rays into your skull. The nurse who was doing the CAT scan told me this wouldn't hurt at all and then went to stand behind a lead-lined blast shield. I don't like hospitals. I was at the hospital for five hours and during that time was when I thought about gravity. I started thinking about all the things over the years I've dropped on my feet everything that's falling on me from various heights, of various weights, and of all the times I've tripped. And I slowly came to the conclusion that while gravity does really nice things like keeping me from being flung off the earth at 900 plus miles an hour and such, that it really wasn't my close friend. So the bad news was, indeed, I did have a concussion. The good news is that I have a very thick skull. This is something that people have been telling me for years, but now I have actual x-ray proof. So most of this past month, I've spent sitting around the house, nursing headaches, and watching Spongebob cartoons. 
which seem to be a whole lot funnier now, and that worries me a little bit. I know that gravity doesn't hate me. I just know that it took advantage of a bad situation. I've been back to work for a few weeks now, and I'm a lot more aware of where I put my feet. The doctor says I'll probably have headaches off and on for several more months, but that they should go away. I guess the lesson I get from this is it's important to know where the ground is and to know where you're stepping before you let go. Being aware of what's around you and what you're jumping into can mean all the difference between being safely grounded or having a whole lot of headaches. Thank you. 
And that was Laura Powers with The Mystic and the Muse. And welcome back. Today we are just outside of Hamden, Maine, and I am here with Mark Nutt, and he is a spiritual artist. And welcome. Thank you. Thank you for coming. And what exactly does it mean to be a spiritual artist? Well, that's a good question. I don't know that I've often been referred to that way, but I think it's apt. I'm a painter, mostly, by trade. I paint oils, uh, mostly abstracts, but I also do realistic landscapes. And when you consider that in the concept of spiritual artist, I paint because I have to. The longer I go without painting, the more ill I become. So when I'm in the studio, my studio, or if I'm outdoors, my landscapes are all painted plein air, which is a term that refers to them being painted live on location. So if you see one of my oceanscapes, it was painted live at the ocean. If you see one of my pastoral landscapes, I was out in that field painting those trees and the field and grasses. My abstract paintings were all painted in my studio. And when I say that I'm a spiritual artist, I'm governed by my spirit and by spirits who I believe work through me to create the various vivid abstract paintings that I create. I lay out a painting, I pick the canvas that is, I'm ready to work with today. Sometimes I do series works and those are all painted all at the same time. But when I paint, I lay out all my colors on my palette, my oil paints. Um, the various colors that I am likely to use that day. And I put the whole spectrum out, um, not knowing what color may be predominant. And that's where the spirit comes in, because I gravitate towards specific things when I'm in the studio painting. Do you feel that the spirits talk to you and tell you what to paint, or do they work through you? I believe they work through me. I I don't hear a voice that says, do this, do that. Um, And it's rare that... Sometimes I go in with a preconceived idea. I did a series of six small purple paintings that are 10 inches square, and all I knew was I hadn't really worked a lot with purple. Today was the day. So that I had a lot of that on my palette, but I had all the other colors. And anybody that goes to see those paintings, of which now I have three of them, because I've sold three of them, some of them have vivid uh, fuchsia and pink or fluorescent green, Um, in them and so some of them pop in different ways other paintings one day I went in I'm like I haven't painted anything really in pink and it turned out that I got two 20 inch square paintings that the only colors I used were a magenta color and a little bit of white Mm -hmm. and did two complete paintings that are pretty much pink magenta uh, various shades thereof or tints actually those paintings they sort of had that preconceived idea, but those that's rare. In the four years that I've been painting, I've painted about 160 paintings, 170 maybe. Now you said you feel like you have to paint. Yeah. Is that, do you feel that it, it is a, a, a spiritual compulsion or just that this is just something you have to do? Yes. I think what, what it is for me, I should probably mention that I work as a scenic artist as well at Penobscot Theater, which is in Bangor, Maine, professional nonprofit theater, and I am their resident scenic artist. And so when I say I have to do something creative, it's in my studio painting, one of my oil paintings, which is my work, or it's 
interpreting the work of a designer for a theatrical production, or it could be working on Recently, I worked at a gay pride event in Bangor. I organized the look of what that was going to be with balloons and pride banners and flags and things. It's where I'm being creative. That's what's important. And the longer I go, the longer the period of time without that, the more I begin to get sick, like getting the flu or something, or maybe even beyond that. I'm convinced that there's a direct connection to my actual physical health when I shut off the spirit. And for me, my spirituality is my core. It's what gets me through. For example, if I'm out of sorts because I've gotten bad news about something, or, you know, like a family member is ill, or something's not working out significantly the way I want it to, like in a relationship or something, if I go into the studio, I know that if I paint a painting, it'll go away. That sense of anguish or anxiety or despair about something, sadness, it goes away. And I always leave my studio. I notice it most profoundly in studio work, but it happens in other places where I'm creative. It's as if the act of creating heals. And so I leave my studio, no matter what kind of feeling I have going in, whether it's good or bad, obsessed about something or particularly focused, I can go into the studio, paint a painting, come out and feel awesome, feel joy, profound joy, um, centered and focused and grounded. That's what painting does for me. As any of the creative things that I do provide that same sort of sense or feeling, but I noticed it, notice it most, most significantly profoundly in my studio, in that kind of work. So it's easier than taking a pill, if you will. Depression is not something that I experience now that I'm painting in my studio. Various artists that I've seen their work in my studio, I have some pictures, from, particularly from magazines, of various works that I like or that, that draw me in, that engage me. Because it's not about liking it. What does like mean? Many people have said to me they like my work. I'm like, well, okay, tell me more. What does that mean, like? But when I th consider liking something, it's, it's something about that work emotionally engages me. It draws me in to look at it, to ponder a work. Several paintings that I've done that with. I have one that's, that's a slender red painting. It's probably eight inches wide and about, I don't know, 14, 15 inches tall. And I call it Elegy. But it was very abstract. Um, and some, most of the pieces in that series were like white and black. That's it. Now, you say, okay, Mark, you describe this as a red painting. Why is it elegy? Because there are elements in it that, in my eye, I see in Robert Motherwell's work, who's somebody that I appreciate much of his work. My elegy painting looks sort of like a red cliff with these little dark chasms in it and little nooks and crannies that if they were an English muffin, they would hold butter, but it's a painting. So it's these little dark recesses that you can climb into. And there are elements in that that, have the, that feature this color that is strong in some of my paintings, which is almost a fluorescent green is probably the best way to describe it. And I, but it pops on the red, and my work is about color and color interaction. And I'm looking for those interactions that pop. So when I look at this elegy painting, I mean, the influence was Robert Motherwell. Even a Robert Motherwell expert, if they looked at this painting, would probably not see that. And that doesn't matter. 
But the name of the painting is Elegy, and my sense is it's it's a tribute to Robert Motherwell. Does it describe the painting? For me, it does, but that's not important that other people see it that way. My paintings, I typically use a one-word, sort of abstract word to describe my abstract paintings. And when I look at those paintings, I will look at a number of works at the same time. I, I name a number of them all at once. I'll do a series, a group of them, not that they're all a series. And a friend of mine likes to joke with me because he's like, you sit down with a thesaurus, don't you? And I'm like, well, you know, I do at times because what I'm trying to do is for me to figure out what does this particular painting embody for me? What is the sense or feeling that I get? And really what's happening when I'm considering that is I'm wondering what what was the spiritual motivation for that? Because when I'm painting it, I don't know what that is. It just comes out. And Mm. miraculously, I think, wonderfully, I know when the painting is done and I stop painting. A lot of artists, and particularly when I was studying art and taking classes, sometimes I just, I didn't know when do you stop working something. Right. Because it's possible to overwork something. And it's a fine line, isn't it? Mm -hmm. to go too far and now I have the sense and that's part I think to spirit is like you're done stop and so the painting's done and then they dry I move on to other paintings and then later on down the road weeks or sometimes even months I'll name them and I sit down with a whole group with them and I say okay what does my feel about these paintings particularly the abstracts my landscapes are all named by where they are they're self-identifying so if I paint Kettle Cove in South Portland or Cape Elizabeth, I don't know where it is exactly, people will know that's Kettle Cove. If I go to Scudic Point, which is part of Acadia National Park, and paint, then those are Scudic paintings. So Scudic's going to be in the name. I did a series, one after the other, several hours of painting, and they're all the same exact view, and I just did them at different times, and you can clearly see that there's different cloud formations, the quality of light is different. So they all are Scudic with different names following that to identify where it is. My abstracts are different in that I use abstract words to describe them because I don't want to say this looks like a cantaloupe, so I'm going to name it the cantaloupe painting. Right, because then then people, all they'll ever see in the painting is a cantaloupe. Correct. What I do is I I come up with a, a name, a concept for what I feel about that. It's not overly defining of what the painting is. And so that's why I choose very sort of not quite on names or use words that people don't often use. They're not in the common vernacular for people to see because I don't want to define what it is for somebody else's experience. And it's wonderful for me, particularly at a show, to listen to people's comments about my work, walk around and say, oh, wow, did you see that? I didn't know there was that. There's a little cat in that painting or here's a there's somebody swimming in that one. And I never saw that. Um, and that's okay, but that also tells me that these paintings speak to people in different ways, which is why I don't use names that overly define them. Now, you told me a story earlier that I'd like to share with the listening audience, and that was about the uh, angel in the painting. Yes, um, the angel painting. I, I refer, uh, there's a, there are two paintings that I did that are 20 inches square, the pink paintings as I refer to them, because whenever I've shown paintings, they're the two that I can't get to really fit with the rest of the group show, because they're so different. And my paintings are eclectic. There's a lot of different colors. There's some that are brilliant red, brilliant greens, some deep purples, you know, in terms of the abstract works. 
And these two pink paintings are a little bit different in that regard. I think they're equally as strong as some of the other paintings. And so I have this friend that com- that comes over. We ac- I've actually bartered with her. And in fact, the pink paintings are, I'm bartering for services. She's a house cleaner and um, she loves to clean. It's her, in a way, her therapy. And so she comes to clean the house. And I said, well, I don't really have any money right now. I'm struggling as an artist and I have some income, but making do. And so we worked out this arrangement. She gets these two paintings, one of which she has and the other one she's working toward. And she hung it in her house and she's always been ecstatic about these two particular paintings. And her little boy, Dryden, who I don't know, he's a little guy. He's, I don't know how old being up to your waste is but that's how old the kid is <laughs> you know i don't have kids and um he says mommy look at that i see there's a spirit in that painting and without knowing that emily's mother came and looked at her painting this painting and i know emily's mother pat because she's a she's a my reiki master taught me reiki and pat looked at it and looks at this painting and says wow there's an angel. It's not just that there's spiritual energy in this painting. There's an angel that comes out to meet me when I am in the presence of this painting. And that's the first time that that's been described that way to me. But I've known for a long time that the people that own my work own it because of how it touches them, how it engages them. Most of my work that's owned individually or privately is owned by people who are not art collectors. And when I first started out, I thought that I need to create work that's shown in galleries so that collectors can buy it. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's an element of I'd like people to buy that work. And so I have this painting that I've known that people that collect my work, they want to own that work because it speaks to them in some way. My feeling and belief is it speaks to them because it's spiritual for them. There's something that they can relate to, whether it's in the painting or the energy in the painting can 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 comfort them or heal them and as somebody who does reiki that reiki energy somehow is in my paintings and when i first went to the the first reiki training i did with pat we talked about it before the you know just to sort of get a sense of who each other was and i realized i had been doing reiki for probably 10 years or more without knowing that that's what i was doing and so now i have the formalized training to how that works a construct for which within which to work with healing touch. I explained this concept of imbuing my paintings with energy, with spiritual energy. And she's like, well, how do you keep the energy there? Because with Reiki, you have to send the energy more than once. How do you, I guess, invest energy into a painting and have it stay there, but still be healing? You know, I said, well, I don't know. It just happens. What I've discovered, and she now knows and has discovered, she saw this painting. She's like, I don't know how you did that. But there's an angel in that painting. It's not just spiritual energy, it's concentrated spiritual energy. There's this entity that lives within your painting and it touches the people who who encounter that painting, which to me is phenomenal. She went on to say at one point in describing my work, she said, and this makes sense, well, Mark's a medium. His paintings, yes, he creates them, but the universe and spirits work through him to that painting to that image. And that's where the energy is. The, ener- that's, the energy comes through Mark as a medium or channel or conduit for that energy. At first was sort of uncomfortable describing it that way, but that's, that's what's happening. 
When did you first realize that that was happening, or when did was it brought to your attention? Honestly, I knew that before I started painting. I was told a number of years ago somebody did a reading on me, or with me, or about me, and told me that I was going to be known. My legacy was that I would be known as an artist, and it was about spiritual work that people would own my works because of their protecting and healing qualities. So they'd hang my paintings in their home to protect and heal their homes, and I'm like. Okay. I had never painted <laughs> at that point. Now, did I make some of the decisions that I made in my life in part because of that? Well, surely you can't. That influenced my life course and direction. However, having stated that I had never painted is a little bit inaccurate in that before I took up painting, I had degrees in art and theater. I have a BA and a BS in both art and theater, and the theater work is in technical theater. Particularly scenic design and scenic painting. So there's painting, <laughs> big scale. I mean, you're painting an entire set that's three-dimensional, that's 20 feet deep,、um, you know, 30 feet high and 60 feet wide, every surface, essentially. And I've had sets like that. But beyond the scenic painting, I also have a degree in art. And when I was an undergraduate studying art, I focused my energies. Into ceramics and sculpture, both. I have concentrations in both areas. But I dabbled in a lot of things. I did drawing. I did figure drawing. I mean, a lot of people that see my paintings don't know that I did figure drawing. Very, some of them are very abstract. I did glass blowing. I did raku pottery. All things that I'd like to do more of. But when I actually quit working in the corporate world to pursue what I've always known that I was an artist. But when I spent 12 years working in banking, I was a wannabe artist. But I wasn't living the life of an artist. Even though the the creativity for me, you know how you turn on a faucet at the sink and you adjust the 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 flow of water.、Mm-hmm. For me, the creativity can't be adjusted at the sink. It's a tub faucet. It's they call those Roman faucets. It's full force, and I can't turn it off. And now it's flowing more powerful than that. And I can't shut it off. If I don't use it, it causes problems. <laughs> you know, sort of. I think back to that physical nature of having to paint. It's sort of my lifeblood. And when I say having to paint, it's being creative. It's it's manifesting creativity. So I've always known I was going to be an artist. And so when I went to school for art, I just didn't know. At, at that point, I didn't take painting because I was going in too many directions as it was. So I didn't take painting. When I quit corporate America after the twelve years in banking, and then a couple of years in sales, and then five years in mental health, doing PR work and crisis intervention training, was great because I learned a lot about people, which everything my collective life experience is in my paintings, and I think that's why people connect with those paintings. So I I was like exhausted and stressed beyond belief, so I quit my job to paint. Two weeks later, I was taking my first painting course, and I was out in the field painting eight hours a day, and I was thrilled, overjoyed. And even though I was in a beginner painting course, we had painting one, painting two, and painting three essentially all in the same course, and it was a crash course. It was a full semester course in three weeks. It was a summer session course, eight hours a day, painting, intense, powerful, and incredible. So I already had a You know, three credit course in college in color, just exploring color theory and interaction. 
And that's evident in my work, if you look at my work. Placing two different colors that create a vibrating boundary line because the colors and value and intensity are so close that they create this optical illusion that you don't know where the line is and so it visually moves in front of you. I employ that a lot in my paintings, not all over my paintings. It would drive people crazy, wouldn't it? But there's this element of composition and technique and light and dark and shadow, contrast. Those are things that I'd already dealt with. I just didn't, I wasn't learning them in painting class, where some of the other people in class, as beginners, were learning those things. So we're in different places. It's not that one's better than the other. It's we're in different places, and so our, you know, our expertise is different. What advice would you give someone who is starting to feel this type of creative energy within themselves that they have to release? I'd say do it. Find your medium. I have a lot of people that say to me, well, I'm not artistic. And my response has always been, I don't believe you. I have no doubt that you're artistic. The challenge that we face culturally, and I think it's a cultural issue, is growing up, when money gets tight, the first budget generally cut is the art department in a school. And in elementary school, they don't put the kind of art department that you might put in a high school, which you may have the ability to specialize more, and so you put more of that investment there. Well, why not stimulate that and spur that growth as a child with that zeal that children have that we generally lose because culture doesn't allow us to maintain that. The other thing that we do is we equate artistic ability with drawing. People say, well, I can can only draw stick figures. There are some considerable artists of great reputation that essentially drew stick figures. So my, my reaction to that is, well, so then don't draw people. If you don't feel compelled to draw people or you feel that you don't draw them well, then don't. Go out, in the, go out in the yard and sketch the tree in the backyard. How, do you, how can you screw up a tree? It's generally a, line, a thick line going upward with smaller fragmented lines sticking out of it. Basically a stick figure. Exactly. It's a stick figure that works as a tree, but when it's supposed to represent a person, we sometimes have challenge with that. If somebody does like to draw, and they like to draw, say, portraits but there's something about them that's not working, then I would say, then, then focus on that. Look at people, draw them over and over again. Collectively, from my instruction, and I've had some phenomenal instructors, and some instructors that were brilliant artists but not good teachers, and I learned in spite of them, because of what they weren't able to convey in an interpersonal dynamic teaching. They were every bit as valuable as an instructor. They just weren't so friendly. But collectively, a common theme that came through was practice, practice, practice. Do it. Even if you're talented and you have that innate ability, keep doing it. Because if you don't keep doing it and working your craft or your skill or painting or drawing, you don't have the breakthroughs. It's it's struggling with it and being challenged by it that often presents the breakthroughs, the accidents that can create brilliant work. And so in in answer to that question of what would you say to somebody who says, well, you know, I think I might do this, then practice. You know, get crayons out and draw on newsprint paper. You know, get a a small travel watercolor kit. When you go to the beach, okay, so it's nice to frolic in the water. Spend an hour when you first get there painting. And then spend an hour and you're done painting. 
bring a little watercolor tablet. I have a book that I take, I have a little travel bag, it's probably about two inches thick and probably about eight inches by ten inches with a shoulder strap. In that I have archival water tablet, it's a moleskin booklet. I have a really nice watercolor kit with a little vial of water and a couple of sponges and two brushes. Watercolors versus oils are very different. But the watercolors, I can do a whole landscape that's almost photorealistic with two brushes. If I did the same thing in oil, five times the size, I'd use 40 brushes. But it's, hmm. they're, different, they're different mediums. And, and that's important, and I stress that, because if we think that the only way you can draw is using a pencil or a pen, or a Sharpie marker, for that matter, on paper, and that's the only medium, we're, we're, we limit ourselves. Why not use crayons? Yes, there are other things you can use. You can use crepons, you can use pastels. You can use watercolors, you can use acrylic paints, you know, and if you're, if you're not sure that this is what you really want to do in your life, then maybe you don't expect, you don't spend the money on the expensive pigments and professional grade materials. If money's not an issue, then go for it. But for most of us, money is an issue. However, when I work with my studio, I buy professional grade materials and I research what I do. When I first started painting, I realized that, you know what? There are people that make a lot of money restoring paintings. What are they restoring? What are they having to fix with these 50 and 100 and 300 year old paintings? So I started researching and found out what they were fixing so that I could try to eliminate those problems or potential challenges from my paintings because I see them as an investment. I see them as, you know, it's like a fine piece of furniture in a way that, you know, you can keep it in your family for 800 years if you keep it well. Now, you see, I think it's interesting that the same lessons that you've shared about art can also be taken to the next level and just in everyday life, take those exact same principles and also in your spiritual life as well. Do you find that there's a lot of crossover, as you've seen with the spiritual in your painting and your your work? Do you find that in the rest of your life as well? Certainly. I find a lot of that. I... I act in the spiritual plane all the time. It's amazing to me how often I feel the presence of spirit in my life. I'm very fortunate, blessed to have a number of guides in my life and guardians that help me see things that I may not be paying attention to, that help me with that energy to create my paintings or other creative things that I'm involved with. I feel them all the time and I'm grateful because I know it's not all me that's being creative. The other thing that's that's fortunate for me, in a way I guess I take for granted the abilities that I have to paint because I just sit down and paint. I don't really think about what I'm going to paint before I paint it. I'm like, I get done, I'm like, oh, I didn't know that was in there. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll do a new painting and sometimes the paintings don't really go with the other ones. I haven't really done anything like it before. I'm like, wow. That's sort of a revelation to me. In my work, if you look at it all together, it sort of feels like it goes together, but it's not that they're all the same. There's a lot, there's incredible amount of diversity. When I step away from my studio, that same perception 
of the richness and variety around me, looking out in the backyard at the trees and the flowers and the plants that are swaying in the wind, or approaching an event that I'm planning with the Bridge Alliance, which is a gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered, and allied group that I'm a board member for, but support uh, wholeheartedly here in the Bangor area, and essentially northern and eastern Maine from Bangor north and east, this group puts on events to support this community. And they can be dances, they can be a coming out party, it can be any number of things. We just did a Pride Festival that we hadn't had in several years, I don't know how many years, several years, and we did a four-day Pride event. There wasn't a parade, but people hung out in the square, we had live music, uh, we had an art show that I curated for that. Ten artists, 50 works of art, which was phenomenal. Certainly I showed, but I was focusing on the other people that were there. And we had some phenomenal works of art, and it was uplifting to see this. And we were in, showcased in a hotel that's right downtown called the Charles Inn, and it's advertised as an art bed and breakfast. So it was a perfect location. They were thrilled with the amount of people that came in. The people that were staying there were thrilled to see, wow, look at all this artwork. Um, they had a lot of artwork that was there, but we took it down and moved it out of the way in their general lobby area, which was right off the square that we had this Pride Festival. So what happens is this energy that I use in my studio, I use in everyday life everywhere. And I get those messages and that comfort from spirit. And the life lessons that I experience, the, the ups and downs of my life, I think some way find their ways into my, in their way into my paintings and collectively become part of what touches people and engages them, and I think on an emotional level, and, and, and may, whether they realize it or not, a spiritual level. So what does the future hold for Mark Nutt? What does the future hold? Phenomenal potential. How I would define that? Certainly more painting, bigger paintings. I'm going to be working on a painting that's four foot by eight foot for Cancer Care of Maine. I had cancer and was treated there 11 years ago, and they're opening a new facility later this year. And I'm donating a painting, large painting, specifically for that location. It's a way for me to give back. And I had a show there this past fall, which was wonderfully received by patients and staff and visitors. That it was moving and uplifting for them. And, you know, in a cancer facility, a lot of people, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of doubt and fear about what the future holds. And my work fit really well in that environment. It was vibrant. It engaged people. It gave people hope. So what exists for me is hope. I, I'm full of hope, undiminished hope, and potential. There will certainly be more painting, large-scale painting. I, I still want to do museum large sizes, but also pieces that can pe people can have carefully in their home. I also see more theater work, film work. I'd like to get involved doing film work. On a big, in a big way, not just some scenic work and other people's work, but designing some of my own in terms of production and look of film, if I can do that at some point. I look at teaching. I've learned so much about what it, what it is that I do, if you will, the craft of painting as opposed to the art of painting. I think I'm blessed with both. What I'm hoping I can do is teach people and share that knowledge so that other people can do that or feel more comfortable painting. I had somebody recently ask me, he says, well, can you do art therapy? And I'm like, well, sort of, but I can't really call it art therapy because I'm not, I don't want to do 
art therapy in quotes, which is a mental health modality of treatment using art as a people creating art as a way to get whatever's going on inside them out. What this person meant with art therapy was, can you help us paint? We want to paint, we want to do things that are creative, but we're intimidated because we see people like you doing it without thinking about it. And I don't think about it. It's not that I don't think, it's it's spirit working through me. So I just do it. I realized that like other people being able to do things that I can't do, you know, it's not, it's a gift that I have. So I see more of that. I see teaching. I see collaborating with others in a big studio space or, or say a school of sorts where people come to share what their talents and their skills and collaborate with each other, whether it's artistic or holistic in terms of healing work and massage and, you know, commune kinds of things. Let's, let's have spirit circles and, and bring that spirit and energy and let's share it however we do with whatever that modality is. Well, thank you for having me here today. Uh, we've had a wonderful time. I love seeing all the paintings. And if anybody wanted to see your work, where would they go? My work is available at my website, www.marknutt.com. That's M-A-R-K-N-U-T-T.com. You can reach me through the website. There's accurate information as to how to reach me via email. And you can also see where some of the shows are. If you want to see my work, I exhibit throughout Maine. I've exhibited in Canada. I'm in virtual galleries around the world. There's one in Berlin called Art Mesh. There's another one in England and London called Saatchi Gallery that I list with, with, what, 20,000 other artists. So there's a number of places to find me on the web, but that would be that would be the best way is to go through my website where you can see my works, you can see my resume, you can see my art statement, and you can see quotes by people uh, from other people that sort of speak to who I am as a person. And thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me.
sings of the seeds worked upon the field. She sings of the harvest that it gives. She sings of the crops that have fallen to the And that was Jenna Green with Harvest. Jenna was at this year's Southern Maine Pagan Pride Day, and I had the opportunity to listen to her in person and meet her family. Jenna and her husband also had a delightful workshop on sound healing. Her next show will be at the Southeastern Massachusetts Pagan Pride Day this coming Sunday, the 13th. If you're in that area, I highly recommend going to see her. She's absolutely wonderful. I want to give a shout out to all my fellow Podkin, Dee and Darla over at Pagan FM, Oceana at Get Witchified, Mojo and Sparrow over at The Wiggling Way, Chris at The Infinite and Beyond, Darkly Faith, Dark Side of Fae, Talia at Geek Witch, Scarlet over at Lakefront Pagan Voice, the crew over at PCP, and the crew over at The Magical Earth, Foxfire and Arrow Wind over at Pagan Parents on the Edge, Tommy Elf from The Edge of the Circle, Brooke the iPod Witch, and to all my fellow podcasters out there. Now, if you aren't listening to their shows, check them out. I also have links to these and other shows on my website at www.paganheartinmaine.com under the podcast for the Pagan Heart link. I'll also be adding more of the new shows that have come out to this list over the next couple of weeks now that my head's clearing up. I'm going to call this episode 26, and as always, 
All music on A Pagan Heart is used with permission of the artists. And you can find their links to their websites at my website at paganheartandmean.com. And also you can find me on Facebook, MySpace, and Pagan Space as Grey Wolf Moonsong. And to close out today's show, here's Gaia Consort with The Read. Until next time, bright blessings.
there's a prayer along the way With everything between the living earth and the sky When it's all of life we treasure through the endless spinning days In our actions you will know us by and by Harvard life's too short for all this worry I offer myself to you all Life's too long for lies to carry Any more weight in this world Do what you will As the circle has bound us Bound we are still Though the bottle be empty May the cup remain filled And it harm none Do what you will And it harm none Do what you will As the circle has bound us Bound we are still Though the bottle be empty May the cup remain filled And it harm none Do what you will And it harm none, do what you will 